Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guide books. Hello and welcome to Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. And welcome to our Season 4 Summit. If you're joining us for the first time, our Summit episodes succinctly summarize our season through four different lenses, visitorship, environment, history, and hiking trails. Our Summit on Visitorship examines crowdedness, accessibility, location to civilization, and a whole manner of things you might be curious about when you are visiting one of these parks. Our Summit on Environment takes a look at climate change and its effect on the national parks as a whole, and specifically the parks we visited this season. Today's summit on histories examines the past and present issues going on in the park from many perspectives, but especially that of the indigenous peoples that originally called that stolen parkland their home. And to help you out, this history summit is sort of like a crossover of Quantum Leap and the Time Traveler's Wife. Okay, so time travel in entertainment. Uh huh. Specifically, Quantum Leap, Time Traveler's Wife. Um, this is my like. You've hit my buttons. Really? Of, well, let's talk about the Time Traveler's Wife first because I really enjoyed that book. I really, really liked it. Great. I I, it. I take your word for it. Don't think that the movie with Eric Bana and Rachel McAdams was the worst. There was so much cut out of it. I haven't watched the HBO series because I oh, don't okay. know that I need sure. to invest in that. But Quantum Leap, Stop the Presses. Um, he's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Why can't I think of his name right now? It's... um. Scott Bakula. That's who it is. Scott, Scott Bakula. Oh, he can get it. I would Still. watch Quantum Leap with my mom all the time. She loved it. It was great. Mm-hmm. I watched it all the time, too. Yeah. My mom and I watched Quantum Leap, and we watched Early Edition. Oh, that's where the newspaper came. The newspaper came early. He then tried to have to, and like... And he would intercede. Yes. Or intervene. Intervene. Ah. In trying I do, to I never help really people. watched Early Edition, but I do remember that as, like, a thing that was on. Yes. What a fascinating concept for a show. I know, and it kind of worked. Yeah. It worked. We watched yeah. it all the time. Yeah. I think time travel is a great story uh, Element? Know, device. Sure. When it's used well. Correct. Yeah. I don't love it when it's used as like a deus ex machina. To fix everything. Right. Yeah. At the end. Right. Which yeah. I feel like, didn't the Avengers do that? That was sort of their way out of... Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, I feel that like was the whole movie was it based was on that. Used so. very intentionally there. Right. I don't feel like they use time travel haphazardly. No, there have been some people, and I can say this as a fan of Ryan Murphy. Ryan Murphy, I applaud you. You were like a sports team. I always show up. <laughs> I'm always watching everything you produce. I've got the t-shirts. I'm here for it, even when I'm disappointed. Um, I do awesome. feel <laughs> like he used time travel in um. Apocalypse. In Apocalypse in a way that felt a little bit like... Yeah. Last ditch effort to, you know, close out the story. And I just was like, can we just like get things super complicated and like leave them complicated? I'm okay if it doesn't all wrap up in a bow nicely. Because that's so much of life. Even if it's an anthology series. Tell the story. Do this one thing. And even if it doesn't resolve, like you have all of this... (laughs) contracts that you can always go back you can always go back and like you know continue on from there if you wanted to but I feel like I'm more dissatisfied in this sort of like wrapping up everything as quickly as possible I'm like you're committing to way too much story sure this has become a a conversation about Ryan Murphy and our disappointment in his (laughs) use of plot but Mm -hmm. time travel I think is very interesting yes uh, as a story I'll buy in most times yes yeah and especially if it stars Scott Bakula That's true. Trigger warning. As with many reports on indigenous people, today's summit contains accounts of genocide. In case you are new to exploring the national parks, let's review the broad strokes when it comes to the history of this land. The national parks, sites of beauty, wonder, and pride in this land also called America, are also living, breathing prime examples of European colonization. The stories told to us in elementary school about Thanksgiving and peaceful harmony are not true. This story was created by European colonizers to change the narrative to peace and harmony from the reality of pillaging, destruction, enslavement, and genocide that occurred and still occurs with colonization. For more information about this, we encourage you to listen to our episode from Season 3 titled Trail Mix, Indigenous People's Day. Wilderness is also a term created by European colonizers to erase indigenous people. It is a term that assumes natural spaces are untouched when the truth is that there were people living on this land also called america for thousands of years before europeans ever arrived and they were the stewards of this land and spent their entire lives interacting with it we unpack all of the origins of the racism and indigenous erasure associated with the creation of the national parks and the invention of the word wilderness and our episode from the end of season two called trail mix without a trace And while federal and state laws have tried for hundreds of years wrongfully to erase indigenous people from the narrative of this land and paint a picture that they existed hundreds of years ago, the truth is that indigenous people are the narrative of this land and that they are still with us today and are members of our community. There is a strong national opinion in favor of returning land, including that that is also called national park land, to indigenous communities from who they were stolen. We unpack everything about the land back movement in our episode from this season titled Trail Mix Land Back. Let's now take a look at the land also called Yellowstone National Park which is found in the northeast corner of the land also called Wyoming. Yellowstone was the first established national park, and its history of indigenous erasure could serve as a case study for all of the national park spaces and for the country of America as a whole. In an interview with Smithsonian Magazine, Professor of Anthropology Doug McDonald explains, quote, The big myth about Yellowstone is that it's 
a pristine wilderness untouched by humanity. Native Americans were hunting and gathering here for at least 11,000 years. They were pushed out by the government after the park was established. The army was brought in to keep them out, and the public was told that Native Americans were never here in the first place because they were afraid of the geysers. This is a story that was deliberately covered up and needs to be told. Most visitors to the park have no idea that hunter-gatherers were an integral part of this landscape for thousands of years, end quote. And as of January 2021, even the Yellowstone marketing material featured phrases like, quote, when you watch animals in Yellowstone, you glimpse the world as it was before humans, end quote. This story of virgin wilderness is a complete and total myth. Humans have been inhabiting the land, also called Yellowstone, for 11,000 years since the mammoths and the mastodons. And evidence of their presence can be found for miles and miles. To say the phrase, quote, glimpse the world as it was before humans, end quote, further erases indigenous people from the story of the land also called Yellowstone and the greater narrative of this land also called America. There are 27 tribes with proven historic connection to Yellowstone. Some of them include Blackfeet, Comanche, Crow Creek Sioux, Nez Perce, Eastern Shoshone, Shoshone Bannock, Standing Rock Sioux, Spirit Lake, Turtle Mountain Band of the Chippewa, and many others. Many indigenous people pass through the land, also called Yellowstone, seasonally moving from one place to another, while a small number of tribes stayed through the winter. One place of intersection for many tribes was the area also called Obsidian Cliff, located in what is now today the Norris Mammoth Corridor. Obsidian is a volcanic glass that is the byproduct of magma erupting from underneath the Earth's surface. Obsidian was sought out by many people for the creation of arrowheads and spear tips. According to the United States Geological Survey, quote, Yellowstone was an epicenter for indigenous oral tradition and cross-country commerce. The region had been utilized by these indigenous groups since the end of the last glaciation. The shoreline of Yellowstone Lake is riddled with arrowheads, spear points, and preserved TP rings, challenging the notion of a pristine wilderness untouched by human influence, end quote. When Yellowstone National Park was established in 1872, only one tribe, the Tukudika, remained. The Tukudika were also called sheep eaters because of the inclusion of bighorn sheep in their diet. They were one of the only tribes to stay year-round on the land. They remained there for seven years until the park superintendent, Colonel P.W. Norris, incited their removal, claiming that they were a, quote, deterrent to tourism efforts. End quote. They were removed to the nearby Wind River Reservation. The Crow lived largely on the eastern side of the boundaries of the land, also called Yellowstone National Park. In the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1851, the western boundary of the Crow Territory was set at the Yellowstone River, or the Elk River, as many Native Americans called it. This set their land area at 38 million acres. However, in the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868, that land size was lost and it was shrunk from 38 million to 8 million acres. And as we know from the history of treaties, these are government documents that promise certain land provisions, sometimes in exchange for money. And they also are often vague, creating room for verbal agreements and reinterpretations that are not protected inside of the agreement. In short, it's like giving someone a shiny, beautiful box of promises that you never actually intend to keep. Sort of like the Republican Party. Right. Theirs are also filled with lies and hypocrisy. Yeah. I mean, like these were. 
Soon more cuts were made to their land area, and it narrowed it down to the 2 million acres that is the size of their reservation today. And in the early 20th century, the superintendent Horace Albright sought to build a relationship with the Crow in order to boost tourism. It is noted that he chose the Crow over the other tribes because he felt like they were closest to the largely accepted stereotype of Western Native Americans. He invited them to opening ceremonies and even asked them to round up bison while in, quote, hunting costumes, end quote. This relationship did not evolve in the way he hoped. We would imagine that it was because of the blatant tokenizing that was happening and the inviting of a group of people back onto their sacred lands merely as a tourist attraction. This relationship also never evolved because of the exclusion of the many other indigenous tribes that also inhabited the land also called Yellowstone. Now let's look at the land not too far to the south, also called Grand Teton National Park. It wasn't until February of 1929 that Grand Teton National Park was established, and this area of land, also currently called Grand Teton National Park, was part of what has been referred to as the Greater Yellowstone Area. Given the proximity of their geography, many of the same people who inhabited the area, also called Yellowstone, also inhabited the land, also known as Grand Teton. Similarly to the land to the north, also called Yellowstone, indigenous people particularly particularly the Shoshone, passed through the land also called Grand Teton National Park throughout the year. During the summers, they would follow game animals there and would often move before the harsh winters. The Tukudika, who included sheep as part of their diet, also inhabited this land during this time. The Nez Perce tribe were driven off their land in northern Oregon by an aggressive 2,000-person U.S. Army and retreated to the greater Yellowstone area until they surrendered. Jackson Hole is the area just south of the Teton Mountains, an area that was quickly inhabited by European settlers heading out west to manifest their destiny. We, America! In 1895, Jackson Hole residents destroyed a Bannock settlement, killing one person and causing the disappearance of two children. In case you haven't come to this conclusion yet, we will happily spell it out for you. White people have always been the problem. White people are still the problem. And white people will continue to be the problem. In addition, laws and treaty provisions were created to prevent hunting and gathering, a rule that still exists in all national park spaces to this day. This led to the tribes of the area to go elsewhere to find food and resources. For information about the scientific formation of the mountains also called the Grand Tetons, go listen to our episode from this season called Trail Mix, the Science of the Tetons. And for more information about the journey to governmental designation of this land as Grand Teton National Park, go listen to our episode from this season called Trail Mix, the Jackson Hole Plan. I need to bring up something, and that is the word prehistory. Mm-hmm. I saw this word a lot in this research, and I see this word all the time. They often call indigenous people who inhabited this land, the prehistoric people. I find this term to be deeply problematic. Oh, 1000%. It erases any validity of them as individuals that ever lived lives on this planet in this country that was once theirs. What, What we're saying with that word prehistory or prehistoric is that history only started when when white people came white along. people started writing it down yeah or when white people decided to start writing it right. down and to include what they wanted to include and so not only does it erase them it says it it furthers that sort of narrative of this was so long ago and right. this was long before any of us were here and it wasn't great and like now it's done and it's in the past mm-hmm. and it's like No, these people are still members of our community today. Yeah, it definitely speaks to erasure on a very big scale. And genocide. And genocide. I think the justification for that 
even if it wasn't in the forefront of people's minds that were doing it, I think the justification is rooted there. Right. Now, there is a whole lot to the indigenous history of these spaces. But in this summit, our intention is to provide you with the understanding of who was there before and why they are no longer there. Mm -hmm. So that's what this summit is about. So now let's take our first break. We're going to take a second to do a drag corner. So, ladies and gentlemen, them, please welcome to the stage. Hedda Hare. Hedda Hare. Yeah. And her last name is spelled H-E-R-R. Right. So she's German. She's Hedda Hare. Yeah. Yes. Who is Hedda Hare? <laughs> I think she's a wig queen. She's, she's a, a, Oh, she's a wig queen. Right. Yeah. She's a Fraulein wig queen. I love it. She is what I can't think of her name from Sound of Music. Ju- uh, Fraulein Maria. Fraulein Maria. Thank you. I almost said Judy Garland. Strike <laughs> me down. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that you have to just go to a class. They'll send you to a gay class to help you understand your mm-hmm. um, iconic female singers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fraulein Maria. She's Fraulein Maria, but like with a wig, um, a bag of wigs instead. Oh, I love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm head of hair Mm -hmm. right and she'll sing favorite things but she makes it about wigs that's her lip sync song oh interesting yeah okay okay Mm -hmm. great oh i love that i love how when the curls tease when my bob pops when i'm feeling glad okay i simply will don some my favorite wigs and then i'm not feeling so bad i like that Mm -hmm. i like that very much yeah okay so she's got an act centered around hair Mm-hmm. Oh, I like it. Mm-hmm. I feel like since she's a hair queen, I feel like her wigs have to be exquisite. Of course. This isn't a cheap wig queen. This no, is a she's, the Moira, she's the Moira Rose of wig queens. Well, some of her wigs are a little cheap, right. but, um, <laughs> but a lot of budget. them. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like Catherine O'Hara could probably cosplay as head of hair. Oh, of course. Right. And that like <laughs> curly, weirdly blonde Stevie Nicks outfit yes. that she has. Yes. When I feel they think like, she's dead. I feel like head of hair also has like a, a really iconic makeup look mm-hmm. so that like anybody could be head of hair. Sure. You know? Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And I feel like she closes out with some song from Cabaret. Mm. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Hedda Hare. Finally, let's go north to the land also called Glacier National Park, found in the land also called Montana. This land was originally inhabited by the Salish, Kootenai, Pendorial, and Blackfeet peoples. The Blackfeet Confederacy is comprised of four bands, including Pegan Blackfeet, Siksika, Pekani, and Kainai. The Blackfeet would regularly go out and hunt, particularly in the Rocky Mountains that they referred to as the backbone of the world. The first formal interaction with the U.S. government was in 1855 with the signing of the Lame Bull Treaty, which supplied them with an Indian agent and annuities. However, tensions grew between the U.S. government and the Blackfeet. Naturally, tensions would occur if a group of people moved in and tried to take your land. This tension gave way to aggression and soon led to the murder of a white trader near Helena by a Blackfoot person named Little Al. On January 23rd, 1870, Major Eugene Baker was ordered to lead a group of 355 soldiers to enact an attack on the Blackfeet. The soldiers found 44 lodges near the Marius River, and the violence began. 172 adults were killed, as well as 50 children under the age of 12. 
It has been called the greatest slaughter on Native Americans by U.S. troops in a single event. And as though this couldn't get worse, the group of soldiers had misidentified this band of Blackfeet, as it did not include Little Owl. For a while, this was referred to as the Baker Massacre, but is now more commonly referred to as the to the Marius Massacre since. So we have this major event here Mm -hmm. in the history of Blackfeet people Mm -hmm. where these 200 plus people were murdered, slaughtered in Mm -hmm. a genocide. And they were also wrongfully identified. This wasn't even the band that this group of U.S. soldiers was looking for. So it's a different group who were profiled and killed. What I'm curious about is like, why is this event? I have just learned of this event. Yep, me too. In this research. Yeah. So what I'm saying is like, why is this not taught? Well, because to the victor goes the spoils. Isn't that always the lesson of history? And why educate something that is a national shame? If you think about it, and, you know, especially now, as we're living our lives in this current hellscape, we choose as a nation of people, we often choose to ignore the ugly, the uh, inconvenient, the things that the shameful that are shameful, and we brush them under the rug. And we're still we rebrand. We're we're still doing it. Oh, we still do it. Yeah, and it's the American way. So we rebrand and we say, oh, "What a beautiful landscape! What a God." blessed land that we live in and we talk about things that don't relate to people that are minorities we're not educated about people that are deemed minority in this country as we should be no everything is a white driven perspective when it comes to education so it's no surprise to me that this is information that has never been taught. Now, maybe if you are a student in the state of Montana, this is something that you're educated on because it's state history. But who's to say? Who's to say? Soon the U.S. government started to slaughter bison, a main food source for the Blackfeet people. Go listen to our episode from this season titled Trail Mix Bison for a full report on exactly how the government eliminated this resource in order to control and eliminate a group of people. This slaughter led to much starvation. During the winter of 1883 and 1884, between 600 and 700 Blackfeet people died of starvation. After this, the Blackfeet offered to sell off the last portion of their mountainous land for $3 million to the U.S. government, who agreed, but only at a price of $1.5 million, and were given permission to still hunt and fish on the land. This land was used to create Glacier National Park in 1910. The Blackfeet became the wards of the state, and the $1.5 million was not paid in a lump sum but in small payments over time. The Blackfeet were employed in the park and were also the most prominently featured image in the advertising campaign for Glacier, particularly appearing along the Great Northern Railway. In 1932, the U.S. reinterpreted their agreement with the Blackfeet and definitively ruled that they were not allowed to hunt or fish inside of Glacier National Park. And when claims resurfaced in 1973, the U.S. ruled that the Blackfeet would be able to access Glacier National Park without paying an entrance fee. How generous. Right. Starting in 1982, Glacier National Park created the Native America Speaks program. From the Glacier Conservancy website, it is described as Quote, the longest-running Indigenous Peoples Speaker Series in the National Park Service System. This inspiring program began in 1982 and provides visitors with connections to the history, culture, and language of Glacier National Park's first people. 
through this sacred connection to Glacier National Park, the Glacier Conservancy has devoted their efforts to building lasting relationships and preserving the traditions, language, and the land of Blackfeet, Salish, Penn, Dorial, and Kootenai peoples. It goes on to say, quote, Now celebrating its 40th anniversary, the Native America Speaks program has been the cornerstone of Glacier's tribal community engagement project. Your support funds over 100 events in Glacier each year, attended by more than 7,500 visitors. This award-winning program provides a unique window into the meaning and histories of the place we now call Glacier National Park from the different perspectives of the Blackfeet, Salish, Pandorial, and Kootenai peoples. With continued conservancy support, the park will employ a full-time ranger to enhance relationships with local tribal communities. It will also support a VISTA volunteer to help create training programs enabling young Blackfeet to find employment in Glacier, and will fund over 100 Native America Speaks presentations throughout the park on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. End quote. Unfortunately, we didn't get to attend a Native America Speaks presentation when we right. were in Glacier. Right. We talked about it. Yeah. We looked at the schedule and it ended up not working out that we were able to go. There's a lot of perspective that we don't have about this program. I'm glad that there is opportunity and space for the voice of the Native American community. There is part of this language that does feel a little like an advertisement. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about all of the, like the, the advertising that was done, like using Blackfeet people on the Great Northern Railway. Sure. Still feels like pennies yeah. compared to what what this group of people had before sure. this became Glacier National Park. Right. Well, it's just, let's take everything away, but hey, here's this opportunity for you. Right. Like, it's yeah. a very, it's like l- the slimmest sliver of like pie, you know, mm-hmm. given back. It's like, okay, well, yeah, we did take everything from you. And, but like, hey, there's this great opportunity for you to speak about your experience and like what it means to, you know, have ancestors that came from this space. Another thing that happens when a group of people is moved off their land via treaty, like Mm -hmm. here, take this other land that we're going to give you and we're going to take this land and we're going to promise you all this money and resources is that it becomes very easy for that group of people to become dependent on government aid. Sure. It's really hard to recover from that when you spend so much time dependent on resources that are just doled out to you as um in pittance format in pittance format (laughs) yeah what is important to take away right now is that there are native american people indigenous people in your community right now who have community who have ways for you to interact so learn about them find out where they are donate your time donate your resources inform yourself engage Sources for today's summit include the article The Lost History of Yellowstone by Richard Grant, published in Smithsonian Magazine, the National Park Service, the article Land of the Burning Ground, The History and Traditions of Indigenous People in Yellowstone by Yellowstone Volcano Observatory, published by the U.S. Geologic Survey of the U.S. Department of Interior, PBS.org, Glacier.org. The article, Chrome Removal from Yellowstone National Park and Blackfeet Removal from Glacier National Park by Allie Patterson, Brigham Young University, published on IntermountainHistories.org. A Stolen History, Future Claims, The Blackfeet Nation and Glacier National Park by Quinn Smith Jr., published in the Wellian Magazine of Duke University, and Remembering the Marius Massacre by Tristan Scott. And if you, like us, are in favor of the return of Native lands to Native people, we highly encourage you to go to indiancollective.org, take a look at their work, make donations, involve yourself. 
donate your time. So this, like our episode on climate was, on, on environment and climate in the parks, was another sort of heavy episode. But I think it's important that we dig into these issues that are heavy, that are dark, that don't necessarily get taught because they're just as eye-opening for the both of us as they are for you. There are so many times when either of us is doing research and then we come to record where we have to really sit with what is the research that we've done. And, you know, for one of us, learning this for the first time, if you weren't the person that had done the research, like I didn't do the research here. Dusty did the research for this episode. So there's a lot to sit with here. There's a lot to unpack when it comes to indigenous erasure and genocide and removal from, you know, land that was sacred. There's so much that is dark, that is still dark and incredibly horrific. And in the whole history of this country, when it comes to how indigenous people were treated. In our effort to share the realities as dark as they may be, we also want to, um, we come to this podcast for joy in the same way that, um, Nicole Kidman goes to AMC theaters for, um, we come to this place for magic, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, um, but the heartache doesn't feel good. here. No, not here. None of this moment. So we would like to leave you with some joy at the end of this in the form of a game. If you would like to stay tuned after the break. Mm -hmm. Are you ready for the game today? I am. Okay. So I was inspired by a movie that involves some stealing. Okay. Uh, particularly in the form of the film Oceans 8. Oh, great. So what you're going to do is you're going to identify the eight actors okay. in Oceans 8 okay. by a quote that they said in another film. Okay, great. And if you don't get it in the first quote, do we have I do to identify have a second the film quote. too? Or no, you'll get Bonus points film. if you identify okay, the great, film. Great, great, Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So the first one. So there are eight clues. There are eight, yes, but okay. I've got two quotes per clue. So if you don't get on the first got one. It. So 16 quotes, maybe. There's 16 quotes, maybe, depending. All right. All right, so here's the first mm-hmm. one. I don't talk trash. I talk smack. They're totally different. Trash talk is all hypothetical. Like, your mom is so fat, she can eat the internet. But smack talk is happening, like, right now. Like, you're ugly, and I know it for a fact because I got the evidence right there. Could it also be a television show? That it could made? also be a television is this show. Mindy Kaling from The Office. That is correct. Okay, great. <laughs> and that was on The Office. Uh-huh. Correct. The other quote was, "I have a lot of questions." Number one, how dare you? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay. The next one. I want you to make me feel like I'm the only girl in the world. Like I'm the only one that you'll ever love. Like I'm the only one that knows your heart. Is this Sandra Bullock? Incorrect. Oh, I'll give you the second okay. one. I may be bad, but I'm perfectly good at it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but chains and whips excite me. Is this Rihanna? It's Rihanna. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> These were from songs. Got it. Okay, great. Next one. I'm yeah. also like, oh my God, who was everybody in this film? <laughs> like I know the women, but I'm like. <gasps> okay, here we go. Okay. More than one side. You're Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Jackass. Could I have the second quote? I yes. like want to take a guess, but I would rather have the second quote. He had this wife, you see. Pretty little thing. Silly little knit. No. Had her chance okay. for the moon on a string. Mm-hmm. He Poor had thing. this wife, you see. Pretty little thing. Um, who is Helena Bonham Carter. There was this judge, you see. 
wanted her like mad. Every day he sent her a flower. Mm-hmm. That's what's the first quote from? But did she come down from her tower from Fight Club? Okay. Yes. Okay, great. That was correct. Hold yeah. on, Carter. Okay, here we go. It's fraught with peril. They, they gossip, you know, they talk. I saw Danny. Yes, did I tell you? He's getting married. A weekend in Palm Beach, I can I can wear. What would I wear? I can wear uh, the Dior dress I bought in Paris. Yes, my, my black dress. Well, Hal always used to surprise me with jewelry. Extravagant pieces. I think he used to buy them at auction. So obvious what you're doing. Is this you think Kate- I don't know? French au pair. Is this Kate Blanchett? That is correct. And is that from Blue Jasmine? It is. Okay. Have you seen Blue Jasmine? Yeah. You have got to yeah. watch Blue Jasmine. She won an Oscar for that? Yes. Yeah. This is a, her other quote. Okay. Let's see if you can identify where it's from. Okay. Recognition. Every great king has an executioner. What is Elizabeth? <laughs> Not the just age. <laughs> to execute people, but to also execute oh, their vision. Oh, it's Thor, Ragnarok. But mainly yeah. to execute people. Still, yeah. it was a great honor. I was Odin's executioner, mm-hmm. and now you shall be mine. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. All right. People we don't deserve, Kate Blanchett. Yeah. The next one. Okay, there are two things I remember about my childhood. I just don't remember it being this orange. First, I remember being with my dad. He would get these far-off looks in his eyes, and he would say, life doesn't always turn out the way you plan. I just wish I'd realized that at the time he was talking about my life. Who is Sandra Bullock from While You Were Sleeping? That is correct. (laughs) Yeah. That is correct. The other quote was, do you believe in love at first sight? Nah, I bet you don't. You're probably too sensible for that. Or have you ever like seen somebody and you knew that if only that person really knew you, they would, well, they would, of course, dump the perfect model they were with and realize that you were the one that they wanted to just grow old with. Have you ever fallen in love with someone you haven't even talked to? Have you ever been so alone you spend the night confusing a man in a coma? That was the other quote. Was that from The Lake House? No, that was also from While You oh, we Were okay. Sleeping. The Lake House. <laughs> it's a movie I've never seen, but I'm making a guess. Next one. There's some weird like time travels happening there, right? There's like letters and mailboxes yeah, or alternate sort of timelines. Something's mm-hmm. happening. And that was written by David Auburn, who wrote Proof. Oh. The, the yeah. like, uh, the... Jake Gyllenhaal and... Well, yeah, the, that was the, f- the film, yeah. but it was the play that won the Pulitzer. Pulitzer. Good for you. Walking away from Nick and his family's fat-ass property portfolio, you have no one, no net worth, but you have integrity. That's why I respect you. This is Aquafina. That's right. From what movie? I don't know. Crazy Rich Asians. I see. I see. I've never seen Crazy Rich Asians. You'd I love have it. To see it. You would yeah. love it. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Tell me. How does my mother or any other person, for that matter, go into a parent-teacher conference and come out with a date? Is this Sarah Paulson? Incorrect. I'll give you the next clue. I was trying to think who's left. Oh, it's okay. Anne Hathaway? Well, I'm giving you the next clue. Oh, God. Okay, great. Here we go. Okay, you know what? I don't feel protected. You try living for 15 years thinking you're one person. Then in five minutes, you find out you're a princess. Just in case I wasn't enough of a freak already, let's add a tiara. They're both from Princess Bride, and it's... it's not Princess Bride. Oh. Um, the Princess Diaries. The Princess Diaries. And it is Anne Hathaway. Yeah, Anne Hathaway. And finally, you telling people to stop killing is like Colonel Sanders telling people to stop eating chicken. It's Sarah Paulson. That is correct. Mm-hmm. Do you know which, who, what that was from? Is it an American Horror Story? 
It is. I'll give you the second one. It's the same character. Okay. <laughs> Tell me you love me. Say it. Say it. I really I love you. I would really like and all of it will go away. I'd really like the other quote though. No, the other quote is unfortunately something I can't repeat. R rated. It is definitely R rated. What is hotel? And her character was Hypodermic Salad. That is correct. This has been our Season 4 Summit by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. And we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there. Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at gazeatthenationalparks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on this show, visit our website, gazeatthenationalparks.com. That's gaze, G-A-Z-E. All original artwork featured on Instagram, on our website, and in the gaze shop is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman, Mariella Klinger, and Sean Slios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode, that we were on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Middlesex County, New Jersey.